नमस्ते सो एज वी नो इट इज क्रिसमस टाइम एंड वी लाइक टू सी थिंग्स इन मदर एंड शर्विंदोज लाइट इट गिवस अस ए कम्प्लीटली न्यू परस्पेक्टिव टू अंडरस्टैंड वॉट वी नॉर्मली जस्ट कंटिन्यू डूइंग इन द मैकेनिकल स्ट्रीम ऑफ थिंग्स सो हाउ डिड दे लुक एट क्राइस्ट एंड क्रिश्चैनिटी if you see through the different it's a whole lot of writings but one of the things that comes clear is that shirbindo did see christ as a partial manifestation of the divine in the scheme of avatars that part is very clear it comes in different uh, places it comes in his aphorisms it comes in essays on the gita where he discusses the doctrine of avatarhood and it is there in mother's writings uh, but the mother says something very interesting she says that she actually didn't believe in the story it is only because when shurvinda said that he was a partial manifestation of the divine that she accepted so that is something very interesting uh, about uh, the way mother puts it but first we go back to uh, what really happens when a divine being comes so there is the divine personality we have buddha shri krishna christ and of course there are other great beings who have stood as the um, high point of humanity to show a way the avatar opens the way and there are vibhutis there are prophets there are seers they show the way upwards and then humanity is supposed to follow but it's difficult because they show a way and they give a law and while humanity professes it it's something very beautiful something in the human consciousness acknowledges it but the rest of the part is not able to walk the whole path there are so many stories about about so many prophets christ himself told a story which was one of my favorites when i had read the new testament that as he was going through the fields some of his disciples asked him you are speaking so many beautiful things but don't you think you are wasting your efforts you are throwing pulse who have no value about it and then he seems to have remarked that i am like a farmer who is spreading seeds everywhere and where the soil is ready one or two seed will take root but most of the most human soil is hard and so nothing takes root there and then there is a another kind of soil in human nature which is very soft again nothing takes root there because uh, to tread the spiritual path one has to avoid both the extremes neither like those anchorites even in christian mysticism a it a side came up of harsh asceticism which we see even now there are monasteries which are you know too much built or centered around a kind of uh, very strict and stern following and the mother uh, doesn't speak very well about that she says that's not the way humanity advances that's not the message of christ well that's one extreme there is the other extreme where the where humanity tends to completely reject or pays a lip service and uh, what it does in practice is just the opposite 
So these are the true extremes that human beings take, whereas Christ speaks about a path where on one side you need firmness, but it should not be so hard that nothing takes root. Why? Because spiritual consciousness is a vast consciousness. It requires vastness, it requires plasticity, because divine will doesn't act like a rigid dogma. And hard natures turn it into a rigid dogma. And that's when we see religions are born. Religions in their outer form as we understand it today. On the other hand, there are soils which are very soft, where you readily accept and you are very happy about uh, something new which has come. Uh, but actually you are not able to walk the path because there is lack of that form, steadfastness of will, lack of core sincerity. But one odd person, he says that out of thousands, one odd person has the right combination and it takes root. But even then, as it grows, there are animals which can eat away the plant which is being formed. And then finally, one out of maybe 10,000 will eventually grow into a tree. And he says, that's enough recompense for what I am doing. So, it reminds us of, there are plenty of stories like that. There is the story of Guru Nanak, they, who went far, as far back, as far up to almost Iraq, modern Iraq. Definitely way beyond Afghanistan, along with only one disciple who accompanied him right throughout. And uh, eventually he also died and then he seems to have turned back and came back. But they went very far to spread a light, but well, nothing much happened. And what happens subsequently is turned into a... is turned into a kind of a religion which loses its real value. So they come and show the way, but how humanity deals with an ideal, Shivinda says it, it pays a lip service and uses it as an excuse to do things which are almost diametrically opposite. This is uh, how Shivinda says that they join the bandwagon and by joining they corrupt the foil and spoil it. This is one of the ways that the asura of falsehood works the mother has used this term repeatedly, how religions are formed. They start with a divine being who had a beautiful experience. But subsequently, who takes over when they leave the throne? I mean, the throne is their throne in the human heart, so that they do not leave. But when they leave the, lead the, leave the earthly life, then that space is rushed upon by the asura to seize it and occupy that throne. And that's when he begins to throw canticles and take into its net, not a very good thing to think about, uh, many, many beings who out of their simplicity sometimes, out of their, you know, uh, whatever way they connect, and then they are caught in that net and a whole religious ideology is formed which is used by social and political forces for expanding their empire. So that's how if we really look at it, conversions began because one of the things with conversion was a purely political purpose. It had nothing spiritual about it. Spiritual conversions are always spontaneous. They have to be uh, a, an inner contact with the divine being and then you feel that this is the path I must follow. Like it happened to Saul of Tarsius, how he turned to Christ because he was persecuting the Christians and on the battlefield when he fell, he had a manifestation or an apparition of Christ and he was converted. Now that is how true conversions take place. 
बट अदर कन्वर्शन आर फॉर प्योरली पॉलिटिकल पर्पसेज बिकॉज इफ दोंकरिंग एंड कैप्चरिंग दे आर इंडोक्ट्रीनेटेड इन टू द सेम बिलीव सिस्टम एज एज यू नो द कॉन्कर इज और द इन्वेडर इज देन इट बिकम्स वेरी इजी इट बिकम्स इजी टू जस्टिफाई इट बिकम्स इजी टू टेक द मासज ऑन योर साइड बिकॉज रिलीजन कैन बी अ वेरी स्ट्रॉन्ग फोर्स टू ब्रिंग पीपल टूगेदर इवन समाइम्स स्ट्रॉगर देन कल्चर because uh, see that's what happened in certain context especially in india where so many invasions took place now culture is very similar right through the length and breadth of the country but people get you know when they take to a certain religion they feel much more bonded with those who have religious affiliations far off than the cultural roots in which they grow it's a very strange problem that uh, right now nature is going through in the formation of the nation unit and so the method it seems to have adopted is to break religions and bring out the kernel of spirituality that's why mother says the age of religion is over the second tendency of religion is that it tends to lose the central core issue uh, core teaching and it turns things into a rigid dogmas and when things are turned into a rigid dogma it is uh, it loses its value and significance because take for example christ came to preach freedom he came to give compassion the law of compassion if you look at the context in which he enters there is judaism and there is that uh, a kind of very almost a harsh religious uh, tendency of you know it's a strong moral righteousness if you really look at that age and he comes to teach the law of compassion which has to replace the law of moses he he is uh, in that context he was upgrading the religion in which he was born he was he was a great social reformer apart from being a spiritual figure and he also gave uh, he preached the ideal of equality fraternity and freedom which paradoxically much later you see that uh, people who spoke about it uh, had discarded christianity which is very strange but the teaching of christ um, took shape through those who had outwardly discarded christianity many of these people were i mean apart from john of arc and few others at that point of time subsequently in in france when later on the renaissance took place these were people who outwardly discarded the religion of christianity but inwardly they were actually making effort to manifest the teaching of christ which was freedom equality and fraternity so the ways of the divine are uh, not so easy to bracket into this way or that way as the mother says there are people who are practicing yoga but they don't know about it they don't uh, use the term whereas there are others who use the term i am an uh, nowadays there is a new term integral yogi which i don't know integral psychology integral health everything <laughs> none of which actually <laughs> should have been the used so now we have also integral yogi whatever it means but they are on the path of integral yoga they don't use the word psychic being because they have probably not read about it uh, but they do uh, say that love for truth love for beauty love for good so when you look at um, what the psychic being does to man is initially he brings this love for truth love for beauty love for good which may take many forms it need not always take a religious form so shubindu says that strangely the avatars belong to the secular line of humanity human progress they actually don't come to establish a religion they come to carry the march of mankind one step forward by opening a way and that way if we look at in its depth is 
very universal. Christ did not say that, you know, only some of my faithful followers, nor did Krishna say, when we see who Krishna is in the Gita and the path that he has given, anybody anywhere can practice it. It just requires that um, aspiration or the urge that uh, Arjuna had, that I want to know what to do, how to choose, how to make my choices, how to make action meaningful, purposeful, and uplift, uplift it to the divine, highest possible scope of action. If you look at it, Gita, from that angle, it teaches man how to uplift action to its utmost. So, this is where we see the mother says, Christ brought compassion. Uh, Buddha also brought compassion. And Shubhinda even says that it was the teaching of Buddha which found its way into the West through the lips of Christ. There is so much uh, similarity. Now, another aspect which they say very beautifully that a lot of discussion goes on the historicity. So, historicity of Christ, historicity of Krishna. It is not really the important aspect. Because historicity may be okay for those who want to, you know, a faithful few of a certain kind. But it is not that which is the core of the teaching. One may live in Vrindavan for ages. And yet one may not cultivate true bhakti. One may live even in Shurabhita for that matter and yet be far from the divine. Mother and Shurabhita have so many times reminded us of that. So, uh, it's not about the historicity. It is the idea force that he has released and the human heart which the divine as an avatar uh, takes as, an as his habitat and he become, it, it becomes his permanent habitat. So even when he leaves the earthly scene, he leaves a stamp, he leaves an influence, he gives a gospel. Every avatar gives some kind of a gospel for mankind to follow, a law if you like. And he does create a sangha, that's true. He creates a kind of collective life around the central personality of the teacher. Now over a period of time, it is this life which has a tendency either in the, you know, in, in its... Um, aggressive, expansionist, ambitious mode of conversion, taking more and more people into the fold, or as I said, more commonly for socio-political purposes, that it changes into a religion as we receive it today. So it's very important to distinguish between, let's put it this way, Christ and Christianity. They are not synonymous. It's equally important to distinguish between Muhammad and Mohammedanism or Islam as we understand it. It is equally important to distinguish between Krishna and the sects and cults that have sprung up around him. It is important to distinguish between Buddha and all the multiple Buddhist sects. Mahayan, Hinyan, Theravada, all of them contain a truth, but often it is surrounded and covered by much that is uh, untruth. I won't use the word falsehood, but untruth. So it's so important to take out that kernel of truth. And the mother says that those who are marked for spiritual life, who are sincere in their aspiration, it doesn't matter what religion they belong to. They will find that core and they will advance. It is not because of the religion, she puts it little humorously, but in spite of it. So that's because they are, they are sincere seekers and aspirants. But it should be important because in today's time they are considered as synonymous, which, is, uh, which creates a lot of confusion. And every religion must understand, look within itself and see where is the spiritual core. And if religions can find the spiritual core, actually very soon humanity will progress. All the divisions, all the hatred, this tendency of one-upmanship, uh, tendency to 
divide people along religious lines all this will automatically vanish so this what this is one of the means through which humanity will advance so i'm going to read a little passage um here the mother is asked the question what is exactly the nature of religion is it an obstacle in the way of the spiritual life the mother said the age of religions is over so we have to read it in that context at one point of time it had its purpose over a period of time as i said so much dirt gathers around that little sparkling diamond at the core that's almost impossible to dig and find it and then you can dig and find it irrespective of religion so that's where she starts revealing to us religion belongs to the higher mind of humanity it is the effort of man's higher mind to approach as far as lies in its power something beyond it so higher mind of humanity is just a step above the rational mind the rational mind does not believe in anything higher than the evidence of the senses but religion is able to the higher mind is able to see in life symbols or you know some kind of a manifestation of divinity in some way or the other so that is where it sees something beyond it something to which humanity gives the name god or spirit or truth or faith or knowledge or the infinite some kind of absolute which the human mind cannot reach and yet tries to reach so there is a kind of glimpse at the higher mind that no reason is not everything the evidence of the senses is not everything there is a greater truth which is beyond so to that extent it starts with an edge over material science because material science uh, traps us as it stands today it's going to expand its inquiry and eventually it will also lead us through the vital maze and the mental haze towards the uh, sense of truth its approach is different but religion takes its stand on the higher mind which is already a step higher religion may be divine in its ultimate origin in its actual nature it is not divine but human and she is very kind here later on she speaks of specific religions she says that the asura is occupying its throne and we see in savitri we have a line a very interesting line where shubindu writes religion sat on a blood stained throne so we should be very careful whether our allegiance is to the divine and the core personality which is the avatar or the institution and the religion or the ideas that begin to form around the divine personality always stands the eternal avatar will always be there as a gate but that which forms around him is to that that the mother is reminding us for the religions made by man are many in truth we should speak rather of religions rather than of religion for the religions made by man are many these different religions even when they had not the same origin have most of them been made in the same way now she gives some example we know how the christian religion came into existence it was certainly not jesus who made what is known as christianity mother cautions this even about shurubindo he says there will be a tendency to turn it into religion but the truth is so vast that you can't do it and perhaps that is one reason among many that for the first time we see that a divine being avatar yogi of yogis has 
uh, not just left things by the spoken word because spoken word after couple of centuries people try to uh, put in place and many things get mixed up and we don't know what was really spoken <laughs> but in one way um, thanks to the service offered by material science that shubindu could directly write on the typewriter and we have mother's voice recorded so first time we see that there is no ambiguity left so there is nothing about teaching being interpreted there is a direct expression of shubindu and the mother right on paper and it is available now i think it is one of the biggest gifts that the avatars have left so this is something unparalleled which of course we have spoken several times it was not jesus who made what is known as christianity but some learned and very clever men but there is a wonderful sense of humor shubinda said she has a subtle sense of humor people would not often understand the sense of humor but some learned and very clever men put their heads together and built it up into the thing we see so this is what we see today and then clever men lure like that uh, spider lures people so by fear and favor these are the two mechanisms used by religions to draw adherents and it's like the more the merrier and shubindu would we know that he was uh, not keen on numbers it was the quality and if they are genuine people each of them is uh, worth a lakh that's what is meant by original teaching of the sikh gurus that one sikh is equal to sawa lakh 1.25 lakh but it has been converted again into number game that's a different thing it means one person who is sincerely pursuing the path of yoga is much more important than a 100000 well known men or all kinds of humanity that's what all teachers have said but here she reminds us how it is formed cleverly there was nothing divine in the way in which it was formed and there is nothing divine either in the way in which it functions so she is speaking particularly of the christian context that uh, there is nothing divine in the way it was formed now there is lot of Uh, material over this lot of people have given talks how it came into existence how islam came into existence as we understand it today so it's time that humanity saw through the lie and discovered the core truth that's the whole purpose and yet the excuse or occasion for the formation was undoubtedly some revelation from what one could call a divine being a being who came from elsewhere bringing down with him from a higher plane a certain knowledge and truth for the earth all these beings have brought some truth it may be an angle it's an angle of vision i mean it's not the plenary supramental truth perfection is the first time that we see a divine being has tried to manifest so perfection by its very nature is a totality but otherwise it's a certain angle of vision he came and suffered for his truth but very few understood what he said few cared to find and hold to the truth for which he suffered so we have that uh, 
touching aphorism of Shirobindo. He says, therefore, men are in love with suffering and sin. Therefore, Christ still hangs upon the cross. He came to liberate us. Same he says about Krishna. He came to, came to give us freedom and delight. But men love suffering. They cannot imagine that one can live freely, beautifully, divinely and delightfully. Playfully, they can turn life into a divine play. He came to teach us that. So therefore, still men are in love with suffering. And Christ came to show how to be free. He came to show us a path of freedom, compassion, all this. Uh, he came to redeem people of the burden of that original sin is basically to be born into the limitation of earth nature. I mean, it's sin in the sense you are prone to errors, you are prone to all kinds of ignorance by the very fact of being born in a body. And the touch of the divine, faith in the divine is supposed to redeem you. But then men are in love with sins. So they, he still hangs upon the cross. Buddha retired from the world sat down in meditation and discovered a way out of earthly suffering and misery, out of all this illness and death and desire and sin and hunger. He saw a truth which he endeavored to express and communicate to the disciples and followers who gathered around him. But even before he was dead, his teachings had already begun to be twisted and distorted. It was only after his disappearance that Buddhism as a full-fledged religion reared its head, founded upon what the Buddha is supposed to have said and on the supposed significance of these reported sayings. So you see that how religions start, they will start with, Oh, so-and-so had told this to me, personally communicated. Whereas actually it's all about the inner awakening, your inner contact, the great journey for which they have given us enough material. But soon too, because the disciples and the disciples' disciples could not agree on what the master had said or what he meant by his utterances, there grew up a host of sects and subsects in the body of the parent religion, a southern path that is Hinyan, a northern path, Mahayan, a far eastern path, Theravada Buddhism, a northern path is the Theravada Buddhism and this Mahayan, each of them claiming to be the only, the original, the undefiled doctrine of the Buddha. The same fate overtook the teaching of the Christ, that two came to be made in the same way into a set and organized religion. And when this religion is filled with political overtones, that's the time we are nearing you know, the deadline where God dies and man continues his life in his own way. It is often said, now here comes again, once again, mother's sense of humor. It is often said that if Jesus came back, he would not be able to recognize what he taught in the forms that have been imposed on it. That's why very often when people talk about the second coming, Often I have spoken about it that Buddha spoke about second coming. Krishna spoke about second coming. Christ spoke about second coming. All the three spoke about this. But in Shurabindo, very interestingly you can see the three fulfilled. 
But the problem is you want the second coming in the same exactly way as the first coming took place. And that's where we have, we, we commit a mistake. For all we know that when the second coming comes, happens, he will probably have to do a lot of clean up work of what people made out of him. And if Buddha were to come back and see what has been made of his teaching, he would immediately run back, <laughs> discouraged to nirvana. <laughs> we have that beautiful, interesting story of the mother where one of her friends who was a Buddhist, Alexander David Neal, she had come to see her. And uh, the mother remarked, you know, Buddha is all about love. No, 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 she would say. No, no love. It's about nirvana. No, but he is here, full of love and compassion. No, he cannot be because he has gone into nirvana. So mother laughs and laughs. And then the mother says that, I saw him all the time standing and smiling by her side. But this lady would not recognize. Because he was a staunch Buddhist and Buddha cannot be anywhere near. He has to be in nirvana. He, he cannot, there cannot be love because love is a feeling. So, how can nirvana be compatible with love? So, she says that he would run away, discouraged to nirvana. All religions have each the same story to tell. The occasion for its birth is the coming of a great teacher of the world. He comes and reveals and is the incarnation of a divine truth. To that extent, it is absolutely true. But men seize upon it, trade upon it, so that's why this urge to expand either ideologically or through religion. This way you grow an empire. So you, have, you see people trade upon it. Make an almost political organization out of it. And we need not speak about it. It's the most ugly side of religion. And it is everywhere in the world. The religion is equipped by them with a government and policy and laws with its creeds and dogmas its rules and regulations its rites and ceremonies all binding upon its adherents all absolute and inviolable and we should be very careful that any religion we should not turn it into a set of completely external ritualistic uh, Approach because then we tend to lose the inner core of truth. The inner core must always be kept alive. This is the real thing. And leave human beings free to follow externally which way they want to approach it. Core is important. That gives the impetus. That gives the, like for instance, uh, in, in Sanatan Dharma, what is the core? Often people ask, what is Hindu Dharma? So very simply, first, the core principle is first, there is one without a second. There is one reality without a second. Call it Brahman, Parbrahman. Call it by whatever name. The second, that this creation is an act of divine manifestation. This is the core. One wanted to become many. So this is how the manifestation taken place. Man in his core is divine. But it is covered by ignorance. Call it Prakriti or whatever name one wants to call it. And man's true business is to remove this ignorance and discover his freedom 
in the infinite and the eternal. This is the core of Hindu dharma, that man can unite with the divine. Now around that develops another doctrine which is about rebirth. Now rebirth is because the journey of undoing the covering and uniting with the divine is not a single lifetime journey. It's not a creed. It cannot be done just by a mere belief. It's a long process. So you need number of lives for this immortal soul to arrive at that. So there is the eternity of the uh, immortality of the soul, which is part of Sanatana Dharma. This soul can unite with the divine, become one with it, because it's a portion of the divine. And that is man's true business in this world. So these are some of the core tenets. But other aspects, whether you are doing a Karvachad Vrat or not, whether you have put a Bindi or not, it's okay, you want to put it, put it, something nice, beautiful. But they have developed later on, whether you are doing this fast or not, not doing that fast, these are very, very secondary aspects. Fortunately, there is nothing compulsory so far, at least in Sanatana Dharma. Nobody compels people to do this or don't do this. And Many people do it for different reasons. I have heard people saying, I like to put Bindi and Sindur because I look more beautiful with this. And well, nice, <laughs> good. So, but there is no compulsion. The moment compulsion comes in any religion, that all must follow, like we see happening now in Afghanistan, for example, that girls cannot you know, do higher studies. Strangely, Saudi Arabia has... Uh, is removing the hijab in school. So you see all over the world this churning is going on. Whereas in Afghanistan, the girls now can no more go for university and college studies. Not even with a burqa. So because whatever, that's, that's a kind of compulsory thing. Now, in a way it will help because it will bring from within the religion the uh, urge to revolt, which probably, hopefully, will carry enough momentum and strength to Remove the coverings. That's why all over the world this is taking place. Christianity is undergoing such a reformation long, long back. Much longer. In Europe almost, uh, most of the people have become um, secular or, uh, you know, leftists because they're <laughs> rationalists because they've broken that through the shell. In Islam this has started. In Iran the girls want to connect with their original past which is Vedic if you look at it. So all over the world this tendency to implode from within because of the hard stifling pressure of outer laws and compulsions that is taking place. Like the state, it too administers rewards to the loyal. See the entire Islamic invasion, if you become a convert, you will be exempt from taxes. Whereas if you don't accept conversion, you will be taxed 30 times. So that was the jajia tax which was there. So it gives rewards to the loyal and it was when Christian invasion took place in India your properties could easily be attached <laughs> so there was such uh, um, you had no right over your properties all binding upon its adherents. Like the state it too administers rewards to the loyal and assigns punishments for those that revolt or go astray for the heretic and the renegade. This is something which we in India may not be able to fully connect with because we have not gone through this. This is a stage of journey which largely 
Indian subcontinent has not gone through because in Sanatana Dharma you keep evolving. There are always new avatars, new prophets. So you accept that there is an evolutionary mechanism. But there are religions which have gone through it. The first and principal article of these established and formal religions runs always, Mine is the supreme. The only truth. All others are in falsehood or inferior. Of course, we have to remember not to do this even with Madhra and Shurbindo. We have to be loyal and faithful because we have the call. But we, if we start, the whole world should follow them. We are going to create a <laughs> problem because as the mother says, there are people who are not ready. Don't displace them. She even says that there are people who are happy in remaining where they are. Never try to convert because they will lose that stability and balance and they will start suffering because they are not ready for this kind of life. So it's so important to each one they have to discover from within the call. That's why Shubhinda said it's the call for the path. Those who have the call have to remain faithful to the path. But there is nothing like conversion in this yoga. But in religions what happens? Mine is the supreme, the only truth. All others are in falsehood or inferior. So contrary to what we have read in Sanatana Dharma, Ekam Sad Vipra Bahudavadanti. The truth is one, but you can approach it from many paths and you call it by many names. And here it is, mine is the only one, the only name, the only way, the only path. Not only that, all others are in falsehood. It goes to that extent that if you don't accept it, you are regarded as a heretic and you can be punished. For without this fundamental dogma, established creedal religions could not have existed. Fear and favor. If you do not believe and proclaim that you alone possess the one or the highest truth, you will not be able to impress people and make them flock to you. So this is done often by miracles. You know, lure this worldly reward or other worldly reward. So most human beings are easily attracted to uh, you know, miracle healing, uh, miracle gifts coming from heavens, or if not this worldly, this is the other worldly reward. So, but Sanatana Dharma is all about your karma. You, you, if you have a reward, you, you did something good in your previous life, whatever way it is understood. But here is by miracle. Nothing to do with Purusharth. Your miracle, just because you are an adherent and you get a reward, not only in, in, in here, but you get a reward in Dubai. I mean, heaven somewhere above. <laughs> so, you have a paradise hereafter. So, this way, a common average man who is lazy, who doesn't want to make any effort is lured. Because it's so easy that just because I change my name and surname, I can be rewarded. So, she, she points it out and then she says, This attitude is natural to the religious mind. But it is just that which makes religion stand in the way of the spiritual life. Spiritual life requires an infinite freedom and plasticity. The moment you reduce it to fixed dogma, you can do it for yourself. Each one must discipline oneself and has his own way, which also change with the stage of progress. I mean, I remember one phase uh, when in the beginning as a, as a youngster, I love to hear bhajan coming from any side. All kinds, even filmy songs, you, you, you saw in them a, Religious meaning, no? <laughs> very nice. You applied it to God. Then after some time it appeared crude. Then you, you go through a phase where all this uh, 
even seems very strange. What is it, God? You are just trying to please him to get somebody part. Then a phase came when Mother and Shivindra's bhajans, which are of a very different genre, thanks to Mohan Bhai and you know some of the people, they are of a very different quality. They are not like uh, the traditional bhajans which we have uh, heard. So it was so nice. I would love to put it in the morning as often, and you know you would love to meditate with the bhajan. In between, there is a phase when you would love to hear. Uh, classical music and concentrate upon it. Then a phase came when that also dropped away. Because now he is too close. Bhajan appears far. And then you know, you begin to call her name. Then the only thing you want to play around is uh, mother's music or Sunilda uh, with mother Savitri running in the background. That's at least where, <laughs> where I am right now. I don't want to change that. Although when it stops, it's okay. But that is where I see the difference. So when people tell me, oh, that classical singer, how beautiful, just listen to it. Now I have heard about them, I have heard them. But now I can't connect. The same Abhida Parveen whose uh, Sufi ghazal I would feel so much enthralled does not give me that rapture now because, you know, it has gone. That So you have to keep on progressing. It requires a plasticity, it requires a... Uh, wideness and you grow into that it becomes uh, the divine becomes too close to you know everything appears something is still outside no he is too intimate with you so she says the articles and dogmas of a religion are mind made things and if you cling to them and shut yourself up in a code of life made out for you you do not know and cannot know the truth of the spirit that lies beyond all codes and dogmas, wide and large and free. Now she is, you know, after setting the note, alap, the power is coming. That if you want to shut yourself in limited formulas, forget about the spirit. It walks in infinite freedom. See how the divine catches an Arjuna the least likely candidate from the holiness point of view. And where? On a battlefield. What a sense of humor. So this is how uh, I heard a similar story about Christ which was so touching that you know there was a church which was made for the earlier people could go but then one day one black had helped in building of the church and he was told no no now there is a different church for the blacks. So many sects have sprung up in all religions, by the way. So, <laughs> he was very distraught. And it seems Christ appeared, My son, why are you so unhappy? And he said, See, five years I worked for this place and now they are asking me to go away, leave this place. So he says, Don't worry, we are in good company. I left five years ago. They have asked you now. <laughs> because you can't fix divine into a formula. The moment you do that, and he he doesn't care about that's what in Shivinda's story Swapna. That Krishna comes to someone who who says, If you God you come to me, I'm going to give you a nice I'll tie your hands and give you a nice bit of beating. And Krishna appears, he says, You called me and he says, No, no, I didn't mean it that way, because you think this is blasphemy. He said, no, 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 I like it because you treated me like a living person. And lot, 
not like someone dead. That's why how well beautifully Shivinder said, always behave as if the mother is present, looking at you. That's called a living presence. So she says, when you stop at a religious creed and tie yourself in it, taking it for the only truth in the world, you stop the advance and widening of your inner soul. So it may be a step, for many perhaps it's a step. But very soon we must know that forever we are not meant to be in the kindergarten of the soul. But if you look at religion from another angle, it need not always be an obstacle to all men. If you regard it as one of the higher activities of humanity, and if you can see in it the aspirations of man without ignoring the imperfection of all man-made things, it may well be a kind of help for you to approach the spiritual life. So there are those, so what she is reminding us, look at it only as the aspiration of man to connect with the divine through the divine personality. Discard the man-made things, they are imperfect. Don't start believing the Panda, the Purohit, the Malvi, the Maulana, the Pope, the, the Church. Don't get into that. Don't institutionalize it. Don't politicize it. But you follow the great teaching and which is given to man by the divine personality who becomes the way, the door and the path. That's what she is reminding us. Taking it up in a serious and honest spirit, you can try to find out what truth is there, what aspiration lies hidden in it, what divine inspiration has undergone transformation and deformation here by the human mind and a human organization. He's saying, see both. Keep the truth, liberate that truth, the kernel and discard the other. You must see, don't make them as one. If you make them the institution, and the divine personality around which it has come as one, you may do a great harm to yourself and of course to the widening soul of man. And with an appropriate mental stand, you can get religion even as it is to throw some light on your way and to lend some support to your spiritual endeavor. So, Namaste. Goodbye to religion. <laughs> Welcome to spirituality. <laughs> Let this new year. <laughs> I often say that in India, it's time to say not a secular nor religious, but a spiritual country. So that's why I'm saying new year greeting in wish. <laughs> Goodbye to religions and ideologies. And welcome the widening spirit of man. Welcome spirituality, welcome the new life, welcome the divine life.